welcome to the Divorced Girl Smiling Podcast. My name is Jackie Pilisoff, and I'm your host. I am the founder of Divorced Girl Smiling, the company that brings people facing divorce, trusted, vetted divorce professionals. We're also a podcast, a website, a mobile app, and I offer the free consult. Before we get started, I want to give a shout out to divorce mediator Eric Feig. Family focused is the best way to describe Eric Feig's mediation practice. Eric is a veteran attorney turned mediator and practices all different types of mediation from business disputes to elder care issues and of course divorce. Eric is such a wonderful person and so dedicated to the career of mediation. He mediates for clients all over the country and you can find Eric in the Trusted Partners section of Divorced Girl Smiling or at feigmediationgroup.com. So divorce is always difficult, but it gets a lot more complicated when you have a family business. And that's what I want to talk about today because there are countless people who get divorced, they have this family business, and it just makes it so much harder to go your separate ways. And there are so many different options and so many different ways to handle a divorce with a family business. And that's what we want to talk about today. And to talk about this, I have a great guest. I'm so excited about this. I have Turner Thornton, who is a partner. He's a highly regarded Fort Worth family law attorney, and he leads Varghese Somerset Family Law Group. Hi, Turner. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you and hear more about divorcing with a family business because I'm sure it is very complicated and very emotional and you seem like a wonderful person to have this conversation with. So Turner, tell me if I'm right. You've been practicing for 10 years and you are heading up the divorce division of Varghese Somerset. That is exactly right. So a little bit of background about me, uh, born and bred in Texas. So I, I grew up in Arlington, Texas, uh, kind of in the DFW Metroplex, uh, went to undergrad down in Austin at the University of Texas, and then came up here to law school here in Fort Worth, which at the time was Texas Wesleyan University. And then actually while I was finishing school was purchased by Texas A&M University. So i uh, been up here in DFW my entire career and even when I began uh, my actual legal journey, I started out in family law and uh, to some extent fell in love with it. And to the other extent, I think I'd, I'd really just developed a passion for helping people. And as you would assume, and, and with the background you have, you know that family law can be incredibly emotionally taxing. And so I, I take a lot of pride and I, I enjoy helping people through really difficult times. Well, that sounds wonderful. So glad to hear it. And what I want to ask you is, when I was talking about how divorcing with a family business is emotionally difficult, is that something that you find? I mean, you have a lot of experience with this. Tell me about that. Absolutely. I mean, family businesses regarding any and everything, you could be selling widgets or it could be a family medical practice. More often than not, folks feel that that is their calling and they've created this thing. And, you know, sometimes they feel as passionate as they do their children. It's something they've created over the course of years, 
both either with their spouse or they may feel individually. And there's not just a monetary attachment to it, but an extreme emotional attachment to it. So when you go through the divorce process, it's not just doing a dollar and cents calculation as far as what it's worth and what you're going to do moving forward. A lot of what my clients go through is just figuring out how on earth they're going to pick up the pieces in their life and not let it affect the business moving forward. So part of what I do and part of what I pride myself on is trying to make sure that at worst they feel educated through the process, knowing that life and business may be a little different on the back end. Well, I think you touched on something, the emotions, like I can't even imagine. So Divorce Girl Smiling is my business. And if I was married and got a divorce and my husband was in my business with me, I would feel awful about it. I would feel like it was scary and I had to give up maybe some control. I would feel maybe resentful. I would feel angry. I wouldn't want to part with any parts of it. I would feel really sad. And so I think that the emotions probably are one of the biggest sources of stress in a divorce if there's a family business. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I tell all of my clients with or without a family business, you don't understand the amount of emotional capital that you are spending throughout the divorce process while you're in it. When you add on top of that a, a business that you created and you may have had this lifelong dream to create an entity. You did it. It's successful. You've built it up to where the community knows about it and it's been profitable for you and your family. And now all of that is coming crashing potentially to a halt, if not altogether terminated. My clients have to really process not just the dollars that are going to potentially be spent valuing and figuring out what to do with the business itself, but making sure they're trying to separate their emotional attachment to that business because unfortunately when you're in a courtroom the judge isn't going to have that same emotional attachment so the hope would be throughout the process lawyers myself included are trying to for lack of a better word handhold and make sure that clients are comfortable and understanding what exactly is happening because again folks so often have such an emotional attachment to this creation that they have built and that may have been their life's work and seeing that go away, or at the very least, substantially change, sometimes is a really tough pill to swallow. Okay, I want to get into property division. Now, this is something I know nothing about. I'm not a divorce attorney. You are. <laughs> so tell me about property division. Now, I want to tell my listeners that Turner is practicing in Texas. Every state's laws are different, but he's just going to talk about what happens in Texas, but I still think, Turner, tell me if you think I'm right, this will be applicable to and helpful to anyone in the U.S. They just have to talk to their attorney to find out what the state laws are, but the information you're going to give is still very useful and helpful. Absolutely. I'm going to walk through the Texas version of uh, the law. But the reality is the concepts themselves should remain the same throughout the entire country. So as was alluded, Texas is a community property state, which effectively means that anything acquired by either party during the course of the marriage, the court presumes to be community property. I'm going to unpack that a little bit. When I say presumes to be community property, what I mean is neither party has the burden to show that it's in fact their separate property. So it kind of helps define what separate property is because separate property effectively is 
everything a spouse may have had prior to the course of the marriage or something that they have acquired during marriage through gift. So if a spouse gave, for example, a, a ring or jewelry or a watch or whatever it may be, that's likely going to be considered that spouse's separate property through devise or descent. So let's say, for example, uh, a spouse inherited a piece of property that's going to be separate property or through a personal injury award. So God forbid someone gets in a car accident, but they get a chunk of money that those monies rather are likely to be considered separate property. Everything else the court puts into the pot and thus has the ability to divide. Here in Texas, the courts don't have the ability to divest either party of separate property. To relate it back to the family business aspect of it all, it can become very convoluted. Oftentimes, folks will start businesses either fresh out of college or possibly you know, prior to marriage, but those dollars that are earned for that business may continue to be earned during the course of the marriage. So part of what the court's job is, is to figure out how much of those dollars, if any, go into the pot. So, so much of what happens, at least at the front end of a case, under the assumption there's not a prenup or a postnup, and I'm imagining we'll talk about that, but so much of what we do at the beginning of a case is just figuring out what exactly does the pot consist of. And if you're going to say as a spouse, a piece of property, be it a family business or something else, shouldn't go into that pot, it's your burden to prove that to the court. Now, let me just stop you and ask a question, because this sounds a lot like the laws in Illinois. Although I just want to tell my listeners, to me, I think that's the same in Illinois, but I'm again, I'm not a divorce attorney, so I don't know. But if somebody has a family business, the court is going to take into account what the family business was worth when the people got married and then what it's worth when they want to get divorced. And that all goes into the pot you're talking about. So anything they had before the marriage is theirs. I'm going to give a very lawyer answer and say it depends. <laughs> and, and the reason I say that is, and this is going to sound very silly, but I mean it genuinely. Any question that I am asked as far as what goes into the pot and can this portion of the business be considered community property? Can this portion be considered separate? The underlying reality of litigation is you're either going to reach an agreement with your spouse or you're not going to reach agreement and you're ultimately going to ask the judge. And the reason that I say that is because even when we're going through the process of characterizing property, meaning defining whether or not it's separate property versus community and whether or not the court even has the ability to divide amongst the two spouses, the reality is both parties can agree, even if something is separate property, they may contract it away and give a portion of that separate property to their spouse. So I'm not going to go as far as saying that if you had it prior to marriage, it's 100% ironclad from a business perspective going to be yours. It's still going to be proven. To give a small business example, oftentimes if someone, for example, is a, a solo practitioner lawyer and they're fresh out of school and they've decided to hang their shingle and become their own boss. Well, prior to all of that, who knows what they did for a living? And let's say that for this example, at least, they were married prior to the creation of that business. So in and of itself, that business should be considered, as I use quote fingers, community property, because it was created during the course of the marriage. Okay. However, in this example, the person hanging the shingle is a lawyer. The spouse is, let's assume in this example, not a lawyer. What value does that business really have to the other person? Let's assume that it's a younger lawyer, so they've got a laptop, they may have access to some 
some files and subscription services, but the lawyer really is the business. Now, let's compare and contrast that to somebody selling widgets. They've, they sell homemade chairs. Well, the wood, the machinery, the you know, books, and you may have clients that you have existing contracts with, all of those things theoretically could go into the pot, which would raise the value of that business. So to kind of wrap a bow on that thought, I tend to tell clients, even if they think that business in and of itself should be for property because it existed prior to marriage, if your books aren't very clean, it's going to be your job to prove what portions are separate versus community. Let's say, for example, they've purchased a car and it's their car that they use exclusively for their family. They've got a couple kids and they bought a minivan, but they also use that minivan to pick up supplies and that minivan is in the name of the business. Well, what happens with the van? Does the business own the van? Does the spouse who doesn't participate in the business have an interest in that van? All of these kind of seemingly simple questions become very convoluted and complex depending on how the spouses have kept their books. Makes complete sense. And I love those two examples because they're two totally different things. You're listening to the Divorced Girl Smiling podcast with Jackie Pilisoff. I'm here with Turner Thornton. We're talking about divorcing with a family business. We are going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about factors the court takes into account when deciding what to do about a family business, mediation, and a couple things that you can do to prepare for a divorce if you have a business. We'll be right back. Divorce is a major life transition that deserves attention and care. Understanding all the steps and developing a plan of action is critical to feeling empowered and taking ownership of your new life. If you are fearful or avoidant in any of these areas, Sherry Morris can help you. Sherry is an attorney turned divorce coach, and she's the founder of Dear Divorce Coach. She works together with you to shift your mindset for success during and after divorce. Sherry is wonderful. She's also a parent coordinator. She is a yoga instructor. She's an author, and she is a mother. If you want to reach Sherry, you can find her in the Trusted Partners section of Divorced Girl Smiling or at DearDivorceCoach.com. I also want to talk about online dating coach and personal stylist Alyssa Deneen. So Alyssa is the founder of her company, Style My Profile. She started Style My Profile to help men and women in dating after divorce. She has 20 years of styling experience and she personally dated after divorce. So she is here to help you through that process. She offers one-on-one coaching along with different packages you can work with her on. And she will help you write your online dating profile bio, photo shoots, choose the best photo for your profile, communicate with matches, talk to you about swiping do's and don'ts, and answer your dating questions. And I think most importantly, she'll help you stay positive and inspired during those times when online dating seems hopeless. If you want to reach Alyssa, you can find her at stylemyprofilenyc.com or in the Trusted Professional section of Divorced Girls Smiling. 
Welcome back to the Divorced Girl Smiling podcast with Jackie Pilisoff. I'm here with Turner Thornton, a Fort Worth-based divorce attorney and a partner with Varghese Somerset Family Law. And Turner and I are talking about divorcing with a family business. So there are definitely different ways you can get divorced. I mean, everyone listening probably knows that. You can go through litigation, you can do mediation, the collaborative process. Tell me when you have a family business. I know you can't tell me what the best way to get divorced is with a family business, because of course it depends. (laughs) But um, when you're divorcing with a business, do you ever see these cases mediate? Tell me about that. Is it easier? personally, the way that I handle cases, and every lawyer is going to vary the way they see the world, let alone the way they litigate. But I tend to tell folks, and a mentor used to tell me this as I was growing up as a lawyer, you don't burn the village that you live in unless you have no other choice. And what I mean by that, metaphorically speaking, is oftentimes divorce can bring out the worst in people. So as far as mediation is concerned, it's almost always something I'll discuss with my client on the front end of a case, not just on the back end. Now I can tell you specifically, at least here in the DFW area, most judges will force you to the mediation process prior to a final trial. Now there may be other smaller hearings for temporary orders, figuring out rules to live under while your case is pending. There may need to be some hearings concerning who is going to be valuing the business or both parties going to be bound by the business evaluation. But the hope would be If everyone is coming to the table in good faith and generally speaking is on the same page as far as what should happen, the idea for mediation tends to get thrown around frequently. And if possible, I try to see if it can be done more toward the beginning of the case. Now, with that being said, it's usually a good idea to do your homework first. And what I mean by that is making sure all your ducks are in a row financially. So that way to to relate it back to, to this individual podcast, If we're going to be valuing a business, we need to figure out what that business is worth before we ever get into a mediation because you don't want to be negotiating against yourself. If you're the spouse that doesn't typically have the day-to-day relationship with the business, how on earth are you going to know what it's worth? Can you imagine, because I talk to so many people who are getting divorced and they feel like they're stuck having to have a relationship with their spouse because of the kids. But now if you have a family business, you're thinking, well, I'm trying to get away from this person and he's gonna be in my daily life because of business and with my kids both. So what is really changing? Like that would be really, really hard. Unless like you said, it's it's a family business where the guy's a divorce lawyer and you know, you're not really involved. But I'm talking about like a husband and wife who own a cookie store, you know, or something like that. That would be really, really hard. And so my point in saying this is, If you go to mediation, you learn communication skills and everything becomes much more friendly so that after the divorce, you're going to have such a better relationship. Do you agree? Absolutely. And I will tell you, at least as far as the mediation process here in Texas, it is not necessarily what you're doing or what you're seeing in the movies, rather. I usually use the word. Wedding Crashers example, everyone is not sitting around a table fighting over airline miles. You are going to be in a room with your attorney. Your spouse is going to be in a room with that person's attorney or if they don't have an attorney by themselves. And then the mediator, who is a totally neutral third party, bounces back and forth 
trying to get a deal done. Now, the mediator doesn't necessarily have a dog in the hunt. They're not there to tell you if this is a good deal or a bad deal. Their job is to put their thumb on each spouse a little bit to kind of bring them a little closer to the table to see if an agreement can be reached. Most of the mediators I use are folks that have transitioned from private practice and are mediating exclusively or retired judges. I personally, I love using retired judges because if they have sat on the bench for years and years and heard from litigants about other types of businesses and they've had to sit in that chair as a judge and make the decision, number one, what something is actually worth based on the information provided in evidence. And also, did my decision as a judge end up working or maybe not working as well? So judges, or at least retired judges, tend to make fantastic mediators because they can talk through both spouses how life is going to look on the other end of the divorce and how, in their opinion and in their experience, when dividing a family business, what's the best way or at least a, a options presented that could be possible to help figure out what business is going to be like after all the dust settles in the divorce process. I want to move on to litigation. So let's say uh, people try to mediate and they can't and they're in litigation. What are some of the factors that the court takes into account? Like now I'm back to the mom and pop who own the cookie store. Like who do, how do they get split up? How do these judges make these decisions? Sure. I, I tend to tell folks, especially with family businesses, the most important part of your divorce is going to be creating your team. And that team doesn't only include your lawyer. And what I mean by that is knowing you have even a mom and pop cookie shop, you probably have a CPA. You probably don't really know what that business is worth. You may have your, your P&Ls, your profit and loss sheets. You may have an idea of the revenue that comes in on a month-to-month basis. But valuing that cookie shop is different than just looking at a spreadsheet. So oftentimes, I'll talk to my clients with businesses to see who we can hire that is a totally neutral party, typically with an accounting background, that can go in and fully value what that business is worth. And it doesn't include simply looking at the spreadsheets provided that we give them and then coming up with a number. That third-party professional tends to get all up in that business, literally, and figure out what assets are owned, what income is coming in on a month-to-month basis, Do contracts exist that are about to run up that may significantly devalue the business if the divorce litigation prolongs? So there's a lot of things that have to happen that go into really defining what that business is worth. And as much as, you know, I've seen it on the divorce lawyer side of things, I don't know those answers. And candidly, I think if lawyers are saying this is what your business is worth, they may be lying through their teeth because we don't know. It's, it's the eye of the beholder. And it's usually better in the hands of a professional that does that 100% for a living. So who is the professional? An accountant? A forensic accountant? So the short answer is yes. Typically, it's an accountant. Um, There's even something called an accredited business appraiser that may be able to value your business. Um, I tend to lean toward, and I won't necessarily name specific uh, appraisers that we use, but I tend to lean toward folks that have been doing it for a very long time, similar to the mediator. So if I can find a CPA who has, in their long-lasting career, valued many businesses, not necessarily just the type of business that we have, to use the cookie example, um, but seeing kind of how even a court may view that business itself, 
I tend to go to CPAs that have been doing it a very long time and understand not just what they think that business is going to be worth, but possibly what they think the court is going to be looking at to justify their answers. And the reason I say that is because oftentimes in the divorce process, you're going to have competing experts as far as what a business is going to be valued, right? So not everybody is going to agree to evaluation if, let's say, for example, the mom and pop cookie shop. If mom has always been the one to make the cookies and she understands what goes into it from a labor perspective and how much it costs to create and market those cookies. But pop always is the one that runs the quote fingers business side of it, handling the books, buying supplies, things of that nature. Well, if you hire a third party accredited business appraiser, they're going to get everybody's side of the story, everybody's idea of what the assets are, what the books look like, and then come up with their valuation. But if it's not a court ordered valuation, the other side absolutely has the ability to combat that valuation and say, no, I don't think that's right. And here's why. More often than not, that's done with their own competing expert. You're right. There's usually when people have a family business, mom does one thing, dad does another thing. What would you tell somebody to think about if they're asking you, I don't know if I want to stay in the business. I don't know if I want the whole business. I'm not sure I can handle it. What kind of advice do you have for people? How do they come to this decision? What are some questions they should ask themselves? I think there needs to be, to some extent, an emotional inventory. And what I mean by that is the person needs to decide whether or not it is worth it to them emotionally to continue in the business with or without their spouse. To kind of relate it to, to real property, I have very frequent conversations with clients that say they want to stay in the marital home after the divorce. And that sometimes is a good idea and sometimes it's not as good of an idea. And the reason I say that is because life has been built around oftentimes that marital residence. And to, to relate it back to the business, folks have built that business together, that specific business, the mom and pop ABC cookies, right? Do you really want after the dust settles and after your divorce is finalized to you know, open the keys to that same store every single day and know that your spouse isn't there building that business with you? Do you really want to go back to that home where you may have some good memories, but you may have some not as good memories? I think those are the questions that need to be asked of yourself as a litigant. Is it worth it to you to try to keep that business alive? Or do you want to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and and maybe create your own business in a similar arena to see if you can do it completely on your own. I think so much of the divorce process is really prioritization and figuring out what is important to you, not just in the divorce process, but long-term financially and emotionally. And once you have that understanding of really who you are and who you want to be when the divorce is over, it will help align your goals throughout the process. I couldn't agree more. And what I want to say to my listeners is, you know who can help you answer these questions? A divorce coach and or a therapist. And you owe it to yourself to have these conversations, especially a divorce coach when it comes to career and asking the questions of where do you want to be? And then they figure out how to help you get there. And so, Turner, tell me if you agree with me. Don't you think People getting divorced with the business owe it to themselves to address these questions with a professional. 
Absolutely. I will 100% co-sign, especially on therapy and not to get too far in the weeds on a topic. I don't know if we planned on discussing, but I think this process, as I said earlier, can be very emotionally taxing and you don't know the amount of brain power and emotional capital you are spending on a day-to-day basis, especially if you internalize it. I mean, I will tell you as, as a guy and many of my men clients, they're not very forthcoming with their feelings. And because of that, their actions tend to be a little bit off throughout the divorce process. And if you have somebody like a divorce coach, if you have somebody like a therapist, if you have you know, a close-knit, even group of friends, you know, pastor, whomever it may be, it's, in my experience and in my opinion, a really good idea to make sure you're getting a real crystal clear picture of what your life is and may look like. And sometimes that's hard to do internally. And it may be easier if you're working with other professionals, not just your legal team, to parse out exactly what is best for you moving forward. And it's not the job of your lawyer and they're not the best person to talk to about (laughs) it anyway. I sometimes make the joke, our law license, at least here in Texas, says attorney and counselor at law. And so much of my job tends to be walking through the emotions of the case with a little bit of legality sprinkled in. So I I can more often than not say it's a lot cheaper to talk to a divorce coach or a therapist than it probably is your lawyer. So it's important to keep your lawyer abreast of all the information that's going on, but it may be better suited for a different professional depending on the context. And not only is it cheaper, but these divorce coaches have such a passion. It's all they do. And so, People say like, oh, I'm spending so much money on my lawyer. I don't want to incur the cost. Trust me, it is so worth it. And when I got divorced, it was 2008, and there was no such thing as divorce coaches yet. And really, it would have changed everything for me, and I really could have used it. (laughs) I think, too, even the medium that you're providing and having folks come on, talk about the process, talk about, you know, I won't necessarily say horror stories, but advice based on experience um, that didn't really exist, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And so there's so much information out there, both through your medium, through just the internet at large, that can really help people piece through the process. Now, I will caution and say Google University, similar to WebMD, will make you sometimes feel like Chicken Little, like the sky is falling. So be careful with it. So find that information within reason, but do your best to kind of uh, pull yourself up and know that life's going to be okay when it's all said and done. Absolutely. And my mission to start Divorce Girl Smiling was because there really wasn't anything out there. So you're right about that. Turner, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you spending the time and I, I loved everything you said. If my listeners want to get in touch with you, how can they reach you? Sure. I will tell you individually, our firm, Varghese Somerset, uh, you can find at least the family side of the firm at familytexas.com, completely spelled out. Uh, the firm, Varghese Somerset, we're pretty active on social media. We provide a lot of content, blog posts. I know that you have been uh, a proud partner with us as well. So if you just Google Varghese Somerset, knock on wood, I imagine we're the only one in the country. <laughs> yes, you are, because uh, I've done that. And also you can find Varghese <laughs> Somerset on Divorce Girl Smiling in the Trusted Partner section. I want to close this podcast out with one more piece of advice, which is if you have a family business and you're trying to figure out 
do I want to do this without my husband or my wife? And can I do this? And he or she wants out. Being a business owner, I feel like I can give this advice. If you love what you do and you have a passion for it, and even if you're really scared, believe in yourself enough and keep it if you want. I mean, Turner, do you think I'm giving bad advice or do you think, <laughs> because I just feel so passionate about what I do that I want to tell people, if you love what you do, it's going to be okay. Absolutely. I will tell folks from a prioritization standpoint, if you love what you do, you're going to value it at a different number than probably your spouse and probably your court is. So take that into consideration. I mean, I, I tell folks all the time, let's, let's talk about a dog. Good luck telling, you know, a mom of two dogs what that dog is worth. You know, the court's going to say, well, what'd you buy it for? What could you sell it for? But the intangible value that goes with it is impossible to define. Businesses to me are the same way. How can you really place an actual numerical value on all of your hard work that went into the creation of the business? So don't necessarily bull boil it down to a dollar and cents argument. Take into consideration when you're going through this process, is it important for me to keep this business alive? And if so, that's okay. There is not a right or a wrong answer. There's not a correct solution in a divorce. There is what is most important to me and is there a way to make that happen? And that's a conversation you're gonna to have to have probably frequently with your legal team. I could not agree more, but if I had to give up my dog, if I was getting divorced, I would go into a depression. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right on, that, more. <laughs> on that note, I want to thank my listeners. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this. If you want to find Turner and his team or other trusted, vetted divorce professionals, go to divorcedgirlsmiling.com. That will also take you to a link to listen to more podcasts, read articles, download my mobile app, or sign up for my free consult. So again, thanks so much for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you real soon.